Uh, we're going to do now what we do each week, and we're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14, if you've got a Bible, a Bible app, whatever it is, and I'll read this passage together for us. Paul writes this, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. By the way, that is he or she. They are a new creation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's God's word. Let me pray for us just briefly, and then we'll dive into this. Spirit of God, would you come now and illumine your word to us. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive what it is you want to say to us, what it is you want to show us and uncover and, and bless us with today. God, accomplish the good work for which you've sent out this word today. You've promised us in your word. Your word is not sent out in vain. It doesn't return void. It does accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And oh God, would you accomplish that purpose in each one of us today? As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, in one of the now classic scenes from Lewis Carroll's 1865 children's novel, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Alice, newly arrived to Neverland, she, or sorry, Wonderland, it's not Neverland, it's a different story. She comes to a fork in the road. She's trying to find her way around, and she comes to this fork in the road, and as she's there pondering which pathway to take, looks up and there sees a brightly smiling Cheshire cat. Just try to picture this scene for a moment in your mind. Which road do I take? Alice asked. Where do you want to go? Asked the cat. I, I don't know, Alice replied. Then, replied the cat, it doesn't matter. Hold that picture in your mind now, and now let's shift to a different scene. Imagine for a moment now you're standing in a busy subway station in a large city center, New York, London, Beijing, and, or, or maybe you're at a bus loop that has multiple different stops that's heading to multiple different areas of the city in all kinds of different places. Can, can you picture yourself there right now? Can you hear all the sounds? Can you smell what that smells like? But now, although it's busy, it's bustling, it's loud, and there are far more pathways to choose from than Alice ever had, 
Everyone at this point of decision has a destination already in mind as to where it is they're headed. And so, yeah, they're, they're looking up as well. But rather than looking for smiling cats in trees, what they're looking for is the marquee on that bus or train. And they're looking for the one that, that has the destination that lines up with where it is they want to go. First scenario with Alice highlights the necessity for knowing your destination and determining which path to take. The second scenario highlights the need for a clearly stated destination in determining which train or which bus to take. It was three years ago now that we entered into an intentional process as a church to do both, to seek God's leading as to where it was he wanted us to go for this next season of life together, and then develop a vision statement that would essentially become the marquee on the front and sides of our church that would clearly identify the destination towards which we believe God is leading us in particular. And I say leading us in particular, like our church in particular, because although every gospel-believing church has the same mission, uh, that is, to be witnesses for Christ, to, to make disciples of all nations, what we spent a great deal of time talking about last fall when we studied the Great Commission. Every church has that same mission. But every individual church will also have, or I think at least should have, a vision of their own destination clearly in mind as to what that mission would look like if it was accomplished. What does the mission look like if it's accomplished, and what does it look like here in our particular context right here on Crown and 17th? Again, without a clear destination in mind, we'll have no idea of where it is we're trying to get to, and we'll be as lost as Alice standing at that crossroads. And without clearly stating where it is we believe the destination is we're headed towards, fellow travelers will have no way to determine whether our church's destination was the destination they're wanting to end up at as well. And so, the destination that we believe at this moment in time that God is leading us towards as a church in particular over the next three to five years is this. As a people continually being renewed by the gospel. We will be ministers of gospel renewal in our city and our world that brings about personal conversion, strengthened relationships, authentic community, and a flourishing society. Let me read that to you one more time. As a people continually being renewed by the gospel, we will be ministers of gospel renewal in our city, and in our worlds, that brings about personal conversion, strengthened relationships, a authentic community, and a flourishing society. And let me just say a few quick, brief things about this statement, and then we'll dive into our new teaching series we're beginning today called Next Stop, where we're going to unpack each week a different part of what this vision is and what it looks like. First of all, what I love most about this vision for our church is that we all had a part in its creation. This was not me as your pastor coming down from the mountain with the stone tablets here, some kind of divine revelation to hand down to you. This is not uh, an outside consultant coming in to uh, tell us the best practices for creating a church vision. This vision is a result 
of worshiping and praying together as God's people. It's the results of prayer walking and mapping the immediate neighborhood around this church building. It's the results of reading and focus groups and brainstorming sessions and study and consultation with other church leaders all coming together in a vision that is created by us and for us in this specific context of where we are right now in this point in history and in this location. Secondly, I love that our vision describes our posture. What we talked about last week in particular, it describes ourselves as a people continually being renewed, those people in process that we talked about, as well as it gives us specific markers so that we can help determine whether or not we're progressing towards our destination or not. Helps us know if we're getting there. And lastly, what I love about our vision is that it's not just by us and for us, it's also about us. Because as you can see, the heart of our vision is a continually renewed people living out their calling together as ministers of gospel renewal in our city and world. That's, that's you and that's me, seeing ourselves more and more and living out that reality of being ministers of gospel renewal. So yeah, I'm incredibly excited to start a new sermon series. I'm always excited about that. And, and over the next few weeks, I'm excited to dig into this. This has been the result of a great deal of effort and, and prayer and seeking God over the last three years. I, I want to do all I can to help give us the greatest clarity of what this destination we're headed towards looks like. But way more than that, way more than that, I'm excited to live this vision out together with you. And I, want, I, I can't wait as we do that to see the incredible results that I believe God's going to bring about in us as well as through us as we do that. I'll admit to you, uh, I present this with a little bit of fear and trembling because whenever you clearly state a destination like this, you kind of plant your flag in the ground. I know that that could mean that some choose not to get on board with us. There are some maybe who are currently traveling with us who may choose to do so no longer. That's not a destination I want to head towards. But I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it and important to do it still because what I also know is that along with clarifying our destination, helping us to clearly see where it is we're headed, this marquee will also draw others who are seeking this same destination. And it will draw them and inspire them to want to join us and get on board with where it is we're headed. And so in faith and trust that this is indeed where God is leading us toward as a church, I want to begin today by looking at that heart of our vision together with the first marker that we're headed in the right direction. I want to look at these two together because all of these are so linked together. Last week we looked at what it means to be a people in process, those who are continually being renewed by the gospel. That part is essential to, the, the posture of that is essential to this vision. But today I want to look at what it means to be ministers of gospel renewal, as well as the new life in Jesus we pray will come about by God's grace as the result. In order to help us have the clearest picture of what that looks like, I want to look at just two things to, today. I want to talk about the upward call to be outward sent, and then sent outward to bring the upward call. Upward call to be outward sent and then sent outward to bring the upward call. So if you closed your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again to that same passage? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Follow along with me 
as we dive now into this new vision series, Next Stop. Okay, so let's look first of all at the upward call to be outward sent. The upward call to be outward sent. Now to be clear, when we're talking about this upward call, I'm referring to what we looked at last week from Philippians 3. Or the Apostle Paul, he was saying, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Where that upward call describes both the good work that God began in us, as well as the good work that he's going to continue to do over the course of our lives. The point was that when God places his upward call on your life, we're meant to work alongside him. Forgetting what's behind straining forward to what's ahead to take hold of the goal for which he called us, the end goal, which is to be fully formed in Christ, to, to be made perfect. But, but all of that had to do with a surpassing treasure of knowing Jesus and being found more and more in him that we experience ourselves. What we're looking at now today from this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 has to do with that very same upward call and the way it initiates in us an outward sending. Also, that the same surpassing treasure that, that we've found and that we've experienced may be found and experienced by others. First evidence where you begin to see that outward sending hinted at is there in verses 14 and 15. Look with me. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that this, that one died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. Okay, so that's not everything, but hopefully what you can see at least is that the new life we have in Jesus, made possible through his death and resurrection on our behalf, creates a new allegiance, creates a new focus of life, where we no longer live for ourselves alone, but for Jesus. We're, we're living for what he's about now. It's a, it's a change in transformation that takes place. Verse 17 uh, gives us some of the same knowledge about that, talking about anyone who's in Christ has become a new creation now. We're something different. And it has that same idea of a transfer of allegiance and focus. But where you see this outward sent call most explicitly is in what Paul writes in verses 18 through 20. Let's look at that quickly one more time. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, when describing our salvation in recon as reconciliation... Paul is kind of shifting his metaphor a little bit there in talking about salvation not only as judgment and debt repayment, but speaking about it in relational terms, as a relationship that used to be estranged, used to be separated, and is now being brought together. So that, that's, that's super important to understand. It's, it's, it's a different way of looking at it, but the point Paul's clearly making is that the upward call of God in Jesus hasn't only restored our broken relationship with God. It's also created this entirely new identity with us. So now we are what? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation, whereby God now makes his appeal to those who have yet to be reconciled to him through us. It's a whole new identity. And I say it creates an identity 
and not an expectation because expectation, it carries with it this whole kind of quid pro quo, I did something nice for you, so now you do something nice for me kind of thing. And, and that's not at all what, what Paul is, is trying to give to us here. What Paul presents throughout this passage is that being ambassadors, being ministers of reconciliation is not an expectation of being reconciled to God. It's a direct result of our being made new creations. As we're a new creation, we are now given this new identity in the same way that being a, a, a Parker is not the result or is not an expectation of being the child of Ray and Sharon Parker. It's the result of that. I, 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 my parents don't say, you must now be a Parker. I just am because I'm born into that family. And when you take all that and now transfer it onto that vision statement, those who are continually being renewed by the gospel will be ministers of gospel renewal in our city and world, it might kind of sound like it's a little bit redundant. In the same way that it would be to say, like, redundant, like, as a child of Ray and Sharon Parker, I will now be a Parker. Like, why, why even bother to say that? Well, I think we make that point explicitly in our statement, in our vision statement. It's for the same reason that Paul states it here in our passage in 2 Corinthians 5, because of this. What is true about our identity is not always our practice or our experience of that identity. What is true about who we are isn't always our experience of that or our practice of that identity. A simple example of that being an illustration Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once used years ago about a freed slave the day after Abraham Lincoln gave his famous Emancipation Proclamation, 1863. What was true about that slave's identity now was that they were a free citizen of the United States of America. I guess it wasn't fully united then, but they're now a freed citizen. That's their identity now. But their experience of that identity and their practice of it is still going to take some time to catch up to this new identity that they now, that's true about them, you see? And what's true about your identity and mine before God put his upward call on us is that we too were slaves. Slaves to sin, slaves to self, centered and focused almost entirely on self-preservation, self-fulfillment. But hear me, that's, that's not at all to say that anyone who's not a follower of Jesus, they're just selfish. They're, they're, they just only care about themselves. It's to say we're all selfish, all of us. We're all concerned primarily about ourselves, what will best suit our needs before anyone else's. That's our default position, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. And it's a position that is encouraged and, and pushed by every advertising agency and every self-help guru around. All that's different about the follower of Jesus is simply that they are now being shaped and molded more and more day by day to live out a different identity to live out the identity of a Savior who laid aside his own rights, who laid aside his position and well-being in order to serve the needs of others instead. That's the only thing that's different about us. Point is, although ambassadors, although ministers of reconciliation is now your and my new identity, it's not yet natural to us. And it's still continuing to become natural to us. We're still learning to experience it as true. We are absolutely learning to practice it and live out that new identity as true. Which is exactly why stating that those who are being continually renewed by the gospel ourselves will be ministers of gospel renewal in our city and world is not redundant. 
It's a new identity that individually and collectively together as a church we want to experience more. And we absolutely want to learn to live out more and more. To see the work of formation, the continued work of renewal that Jesus is doing in us, not as an end in itself, but as creating a sent-out identity that desires to see the world around us, find that same treasure, and experience the same renewal that we ourselves are now experiencing. That's what the new identity is all about. The first place we want to see that gospel renewal take place in our city and in our world is at a personal level. We want to see it take place in individual hearts and lives and people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. That's the very first place that we want to see God's kingdom break in and come. (coughs) So let's look lastly at this first marker of what's going to help us determine whether or not we're progressing towards our stated destination or not. And we'll talk about sent outward to bring the upward call. Sent outward to bring the upward call. Now, for some of us, I know that even using that language in this statement to describe this marker in our vision as personal conversion, it sounds dated. Conversion, that sounds dated. For some, it will even sound offensive to use that language, and I can absolutely understand that offense. Particularly if you've heard people, maybe over the course of your life in the past, talk about people like they were earning some kind of religious notches in their belt. How many people were converted at that? How many souls did you get saved? That kind of way of talking about people, that is offensive, and it should be rejected. I, I reject it right along with you. But I don't think just because a word has been used wrongly in the past means that we should just abandon it entirely. I don't know anybody who's offended by the term converted when you're traveling on vacation to another country and you've got to change whatever currency you're using into the currency of that country. You, you want conversion to take place. Otherwise, you're not buying anything. I can also understand that some may take offense to the notion that we would try to convert anybody to begin with. Some people are offended even by that idea. Who are you? To claim that your worldview is superior to anyone else's, that they should believe what you believe instead of what they believe currently. I can understand the offense to that as well. The problem with that is that there's not an advertising company, a political party in the world that isn't doing the exact same thing right now and every day. That they aren't trying to get you to believe in whatever it is they want you to believe or buy or vote for. And we've kind of made our peace with that. So I think in the end, what really people are often reacting to is really just a secular definition of what it means to be converted. What they see is that it's just kind of involving giving somebody a whole new list of rules and regulations that they're supposed to follow. Take on a new set of morality from the one that you currently have, and that what, that's what it means to be converted. That, that's also offensive. I can see why people would be offended by that, and I reject that idea right along with you. The reason I think it is reasonable to keep using this term and to expect to see personal conversions to faith in Jesus as a result of living out our identity as gospel ministers of gospel renewal is for two reasons. First of all, because of what conversion actually is. And secondly, who it is that actually brings conversion about. 
First of all, if you look at verse 18 and 19 again quickly, you'll see clearly, according to the Bible's definition, what it means to be converted is to have your sins forgiven and enter into a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus. That's what being converted actually means. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship with someone where it's been broken apart by something you did, some big thing that your friendship just blew up, your relationship blew up, you were estranged, and then by forgiving that debt, the relationship is brought back together. It's reconciled. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. So that's the first thing. Secondly, verse 17, look there. It says conversion also means to be changed into something entirely brand new. That's what it means to be converted, exactly actually like currency conversion. Only instead of converting Canadian dollars into U.S. dollars or pounds sterling, Chinese yuan, instead you're you're experiencing conversion at a personal level from death to life, from, from darkness to light, from being a slave to being set free. You're being changed into something entirely new. Yeah, if all that we were inviting people to was to take on a new set of religious rules and identities and and take on a new morality yourself, they should be offended by that. And we should keep our religious ideas to ourselves. But Paul clearly says there in verse 20, look, what we're actually inviting people into is to experience a reconciled relationship with God. And that... As we looked at last week in Paul's testimony in Philippians 3, that's a reconciled relationship that's worth anything and everything in order to experience. That's something worth sharing with people and telling them about. The problem is, too often as a church, I find that we keep adopting that same secular definition of what it means to be converted. And that's not transforming to us, nor is it something that we could be very passionate about sharing with other people. I'm not passionate about telling someone Don't sleep in on Sunday morning or enjoy golf on a beautiful day like this. Come and sit with us in a building and sing and pray together. I'm not passionate about telling someone to change that. I'd love to be sleeping in this morning as well. What I'm passionate and excited about is telling someone about that they can have a restored, renewed, reconciled relationship with God. That's what we're gathering to sing and pray and worship about. That is transforming and that does excite us and make us want to say hey this is something you need this is something we all need and who is it that actually brings conversion about well surprise surprise it's not us so nobody should be putting any notches in anyone's belt you don't have any notches and it's also not something that comes about as a result of following a set of religious rules or laws Paul clearly tells us there in verse 18 at the beginning, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Or as Paul says elsewhere, Ephesians 2, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near through the, through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So Jesus is the one. He's the one who cancels our debt of sin and transgression and brings about that reconciled relationship with God through his debt-canceling work on the cross. But as we just finished talking about in our first point, what we have still been given is that ministry of reconciliation. That's what we've been called into, right? And the way we do that is by communicating 
the message of reconciliation which is being entrusted to us. The message, as Paul states there in verse 20, is the appeal that God now makes through us as his ministers of reconciliation, be reconciled to God. That's what we're inviting people into. Be reconciled to God. And so no, we, we, don't, we don't bring about personal conversion ourselves, but as it relates to this first marker of our vision statement, I think it's entirely reasonable. It stands to reason. If God is calling you and me to do this, if he said you are to be now ministers of reconciliation, communicating the message of reconciliation, it stands to reason that we will. We will absolutely see him reconciling people more and more around us as we're faithful to live out what it is he's called us to. As we live out this identity as ministers of gospel renewal, that this will be a marker of what we see taking place. It'll show us that we're headed towards that destination. It's certainly the example that we see in the early church, for instance, in Acts chapter 2. There you have people, it says the church is devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, prayer, breaking of bread. And then they're living in these radically outward-centered, outward-sent ways. They're, they're communicating the message. They're, they're selling their possessions and homes and properties and distributing the proceeds to all as they have need. And in response, Luke tells us, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, does that mean our, our, our hope is that people are going to daily be being saved as we live this out? I hope so. I don't know. But we will absolutely, I think it's entirely reasonable to set this as a marker that we will see people more and more as we're faithful to this call, seeing people come to a saving faith in Jesus, seeing personal conversion transformed into that whole new creation as they enter into that reconciled relationship with Jesus. Now, as you're hearing this, I, I hope this doesn't sound surprising <laughs> or, or, or strange to you. I, I think if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you'd say this isn't some kind of brand new initiative that we want to try out for the fall and just see what that's like. Uh, no, uh, seeing ourselves as ministers of gospel renewal in every place that God has placed us around this city with the hope of seeing people come to a saving faith in Jesus, that has been, in many respects, an aspect of our vision that we've already been living out as a church. As, as for the last number of years, it's been by God's grace, we have seen men, women, and children coming to a saving faith in Jesus, following Jesus' command to be baptized every year. So this is not something brand new that we're trying out. But while this destination may have been taught, may have been assumed, never before have we definitively stated, this is where we're headed as a church. We've never lit up that marquee for all to see and said, this is where we're headed. Do you want to come with us? But I hope you can see already just how important having clarity in your destination is, both for deciding which path to take. Do, do we take this one? Is this, the right, is this the right one? It helps in giving clarity for that. It also provides accountability for all who are on board that we be working towards the destination we say we're headed towards. If you get on the number seven Dunbar bus this afternoon and find yourself headed towards Metrotown and Burnaby, you're going to know that that marquee was not telling you the true destination of where they're headed. It provides, it provides this accountability to know, hey, if we've said we're going here, then we need to be working towards getting there. And maybe, 
What I'd love to know is if, if this is like one of your first Sundays at Dunbar. You're just coming to check us out. I hope that what you see up on our, marquee, our marquee is something that inspires you. I hope it's something that when you see that, you're, you would say to yourself, yeah, that's a destination that I want to head towards as well. If that's where you're heading, I'm excited to get on board with you if that's where you're going. But I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, more than clarity or accountability or anything like that, I hope what this vision does for all of us is it inspires us it motivates us, that it excites you, that it kind of builds a passion and a fire in your heart that you would want to see this vision come to fruition. You'd want to see it lived out and come and reach that destination together. That's ultimately the goal of why we have this compelling vision of what the mission accomplished looks like. It drives us forward with excitement and passion to see that destination reached. This is where we are headed as a church, Dunbar Heights Baptist Church, as a people who are continually being renewed, a people in process that God has called to be ministers of gospel renewal, carrying a message of reconciliation with the hope that as we do, we'll see countless more men and women and children enter into a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus. That's where we're headed. This is the next stop that we are moving towards. So I'll tell you what, as your pastor, I could not be more proud of you and what it is that we've created together, nor could I be more excited to be a fellow passenger on board with you as we strive towards this beautiful destination of gospel renewal for our city and for our world, which really, as we've said, is really just a continuation of what we've already been doing, but now clearly stated, this is where we're headed. I'm excited to be on board with you. So let's go. Let's go. Let me pray for us briefly. Spirit of God, thank you. Thank you for what you've inspired in us as your people. I pray now as we seek to live out this identity as ministers of gospel renewal, would you bring about these things, God? Would you bring about personal conversions? Would you bring about transformed relationships? Would you bring about authentic community? Would you bring about a transformed society and a flourishing society here in Vancouver. Accomplish these things, God, in us and through us, I ask in Jesus' name, for your glory and for our good. Amen.